Welcome to the Character Matters Podcast, where key issues are put to the litmus test instead of the mainstream media. Let's get it started with your host, Gregory Trent. And hello, welcome to Character Matters, where character really does matter. And I'm your host, Gregory Trent. So glad to have you listening in. Today, I have another great guest who is uh, joining us all the way from the great steel city of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where he pastors there and uh, also is a recent author. His name is Maurice Trent. And if you recognize that last name, it's because it's one of my elder brothers. And uh, he has been involved in ministry for a couple of decades now. He's in the heart of things in the city of Pittsburgh and has his pulse on what's going on in that city. As well, he's very, very conscious about things that are transpiring in our nation today. And so it was only befitting that I try to get him on and kind of pick his brain a little bit. So this should be fun. This should be a lot of fun. So at this time, welcome Maurice Trent Jr. And if you hear me call him Cliff on here, it's because it's my brother and we grew up with Cliff. So Cliff, welcome to the broadcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. All right, all right. We're so glad to have you on. Hey, as we kick off, tell us a little bit about your church and, if you will, a little bit about your book as well. Well, my my church is a very spirit-filled, driven church right in the heart of the inner city of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Um, we are soul winners. We believe in hitting the streets and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, we know that whenever you share the gospel of Jesus Christ to someone within the inner city, you're saving not only their spiritual lives, but you're literally saving their physical lives as well. So we know we have our work cut out for us, but we are up for the challenge, and we thank God that he has chosen us for this area. Uh, before you go into your book, before you go into the book, I just want to just touch on that a little bit because you made a statement and I understand the, the context um, in greater detail, but can you just share a little bit about what you mean by the fact that um, when you save their soul, you're saving their life as well? Well, here in the inner city in Pittsburgh, uh, we are um, plagued with violence. Um, and I've to give you a a kind of a picture, my first funeral was a 14-year-old boy who got shot and killed. I've buried the youngest of six years old that was shot and killed with the, by a bullet. And but I also the young younger than that was a nine-month-old baby, or I'm sorry, a baby who was in the womb of a mother who was nine months pregnant, and her and her sister and her cousin and her brother were all killed at the same time at a barbecue 
because somebody decided to come into the backyard with AK-47 and start spraying uh, the backyard. And so we know that when we share the gospel of Jesus Christ to these young people, um, if they give their life to Christ, then they won't be in the streets. They won't be around that negativity. And so they will live past the age of 21, and they too will be able to have a quality of life. You know, that's something that, um, you know, I really want to get into because, you know, there there are those that may show up for a rally when things happen and, and thank God for some of them that show or may show up for a media op. It's another thing to live and work and labor in the ministry, in these areas that are so impacted by this type of, you know, crime and loss and, you know, multi-generational um, situations like this and not leave that family after the funeral, but continue to be there as a resource, um, which I know you and your your ministry there at Lighthouse Cathedral does. And so, you know, I really appreciate it because I, I, I want to come after back to this after we talk about your book, because I think too many make assumptions from afar and I want to get down right in the living room and, and have a conversation. Um, so tell, tell, us, tell us about your recent book. Well, you know, the, the Lord had led me to write a book. And um, the book starts off a little bit about my testimony. And, um, you know, I, I, I wanted to write a book about, you know, how God has called us to use our faith to build the kingdom. Yeah. But I felt I would be a little remiss if I didn't talk a little bit about where I came from because, you know, people automatically assume because I'm the son of a preacher and that we was raised in a powerful spirit-filled home that, you know, I've never strayed or never right. tasted of what was out there. And so I wanted to be a little transparent and so that people could see my whole journey. Right. And the book is called the journey and uh but but the just to give you a little bit of the, about the book it talks about how god has called our us as a people to go into this inner city to leave a church that we had hot running water right. and we had electricity and and everything else and and had us move into a place that was a tent right that we put up and then how the power of god moved within the tent and then how God had built um, what what is now the home of Lighthouse Cathedral with um, when we first went up there, fifteen adults and thirty five children. Wow! And so we were the laugh of we were the laughing stock of the city, mm-hmm. and people mocked us and said, "There's no way in the world they can do that big work with with all those kids and a little bit of people." But, um, you know, God puts you in a place that where it seems like they're laughing at you just to be able to show his glory. <laughs> and so I, I hope the people get the book so they can see how God moved in our life. That is excellent. And I, I'll tell you, I've been reading the book and uh, really, really good stuff walking along. And I, I think that it, it is um, very appropriately written as far as the title is concerned, uh, very appropriately titled The Journey, because it walks you along your journey. So talking a little about about this journey. So you're in the inner city of Pittsburgh. 
you're dealing with these folks that a lot of them are raised differently than you were raised. Tell tell us what the day in the life of of a pastor uh, of your church. What is that like, and and how do you minister to the people that you're finding these in these different situations? Well, you know what it's. I understood long time ago that when I stand up and I preach on a Sunday morning, that it is five percent of pastoring. Mm. And especially if you're in the inner city, yeah, uh, um, because you just never know from day to day, you know, what you're going to face. And so, you know, I cannot turn off my cell phone. Right. I have to. All times. I'm sorry. Um, I, can you repeat? I'm sorry. I um, went out a little bit. You see, you can't turn off your cell phone and what else? I cannot available 24 hours mm-hmm. I am always on call because I never know when I, for someone being shot and killed or from someone who's just been raped or someone who is drug addicted and, and or, or suicidal and wants to get out um, and so it's it's constantly um, you know every day you know being there, being a servant to the people so that they can see Christ through you. Because some people, the only Jesus that they'll ever see is the Jesus that's portrayed in you. Yeah. And and I think people miss that Jesus, especially in the church, especially in the church, they miss that Jesus spent most of his time Dealing with the downtrodden, mm-hmm. dealing with the poor, yes, dealing with the sick, dealing with those who could not help themselves. And I don't know where we got this thing in the church where we want people to, to do it for themselves. Right. And, and we're supposed to stand on the sidelines and watch. That's not the Jesus that I've read in the Word of God. You know, that's interesting because when um, I've been having some conversations lately and we tend to, to see a, um, a political um, narrative that says what they really need to do is just, you know, get a job, um, stop all the, the crime, stop the black on black crime and, you know, help themselves. What do you say when you begin to hear narratives like that, which I'm sure you hear as well, what is your response to that type of think? Well, number one, the the church has to understand what their responsibility is. Mm. And, 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 but the only way that they can understand what their responsibility is, they must first deal with their own prejudices and racisms within the church, mm. um, because I, I, you could, if I can give you a for instance, sure. We we had a we had a police officer's dog here in the city of Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. who was shot and killed in the line of duty, mm. and the churches. And organizations were rising up everywhere. They raised so much money 
that they ended up raising over $75,000. They had a, um, a funeral at the Syria Mosque, which is one of the, the premier places in the city of Pittsburgh to have any type of events. Mm. They had this long processional. It had total media coverage for four days. Wow. And I mean, this dog went out in style. Right. <laughs> now, a, a week later, we had a little eight-year-old black boy who had died from meningitis. Mm. And I got on the news and I tried to get people to give some money so that this family would be able to bury this little boy. And we couldn't raise $1,500. Oh, my Lord. It's, it's the value. They put right. more value in a dog absolutely, than they did in a little black boy. Mm. And so we, we, we have to, as, as a church, which, by the way, Sunday morning is the most segregated time in America, we, we have to deal with, with prejudice, how we see people, because if we don't deal with how we see people, then we won't be moved to help people. We want people to help themselves. See, that, that you went to the heart of something there, speaking about understanding the value of someone um, over something. And I was just looking, there was another case, just, um, I, I saw a headline no more than three or four days ago about a woman whose dog was shot and killed and she was recompensed from the city, you know, like a million dollars for her child or dog being killed. But yet you see the, the Tamir Rices and what have you that are killed and, and there's nothing done a lot of times. And, and if they do, they have to fight like crazy in order to get any type of, you know, any type of restitution. That that's And that, that is so true. And this, this is the struggle that we have because people want, they want to pat you on your back and say, way to go, you do it. But when it comes to them giving you resources to do it, they don't want to give you the resources. And the Bible says, you know, where a man's heart is, that's where his treasure lies also. Right. And Absolutely. So, so they want the black preacher and I'm telling you, because I deal with this all the time, they call me downtown, they, they, they have their meetings, and they want the black preacher to be the answer. But they're like Pharaoh, because they want you to make bricks without straw. Lord have mercy. They, 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 they want results without them having to sow into or give resources for, and, and and it's impossible to do. And so, you know, we continue to, to muddle through, and we continue to, to make an impact where we can make an impact, but we can make a greater impact in right. churches who have gr such great resources 
right. who are building after buildings after buildings. If if they would identify some of the smaller churches who are right. doing the real work in inner city and, and say, we're going to support you with our dollars because we believe that you're doing the, the Lord's work, then we can get more done than we are now. You can't tell a young man who has been in the streets all his life mm-hmm. to go get a job, and then he shows up at a job, and then he's told that you're not welcome here mm-hmm. because I look at your application and you haven't worked in 15 years. Well, he hasn't worked in 15 years because he was raised in an area and in an environment that said that when you grow up, you go out and hustle to get the money to put the the bacon on the table. Right. Now he goes to the church, he gets saved, the Lord changes his life, and, and now God's putting his life back in order, but yet we don't have people who have the compassion to say, well, I'm going to go ahead and give him a chance. And mm. so what does he have? He only has two choices. Right, right, right. Go back out and do what you've been doing mm-hmm. or continue to muddle through and hope that something breaks for you. Right. And so people don't understand that you have to have programs. We have to have programs where we bring them in and we teach them how to be employable. We give buy them a suit. We we show them how to interview. You know, we um, have to go before them to to agencies and say, "Hey, you know, this is a good young man. Give him a chance." We need we need all hands on deck in order to be able to employ people, but they don't do it. They don't pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. That's a myth. It just doesn't happen. You know, I'm, I'm so glad you're attacking this. This is so critical. And, and when we, you know, the Bible says, you know, that we got to be begin at the house of God. Judgment begins at the house of God. And, and we've got to start at home first. And when you look at it, this is something that is older than this country. Uh, when you look at even what um, uh, Frederick Douglass, the great abolitionist and just the great mind uh, of our nation said years ago, he talked about how the church would travel the world about to make missionaries and he would finance it through slavery. And and he was talking about that hypocrisy. So you're going to enslave folks, take that money and then use it to pay for missionary trips back overseas. (laughs) And so when we look at how it's, it's not about us not having enough money to do this, you know, as a nation and, and Martin Luther King said in his final book, there is absolutely no reason for poverty today whatsoever. We've got the technology, we have the finance, we have the wherewithal, we just don't have the conscience to make it happen. And that was before he was murdered back in the 60s. So if you fast forward to today and you look at the amount of revenue that we have, it's not the fact that we can't afford to do these things, is that we're choosing not to do these things. You know, when well, oh, go ahead. Yeah, you know, the church is the church practices racism and classism. Mm. And whenever you practice classism, then 
you're around people who are like-minded. Right. And if you're around people who are like-minded, then there's nobody there to be able to say, hey, <laughs> what you're doing is wrong. <laughs> Come on, preacher. This, 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 this is just wrong. Right. Why, why is it that you don't mind an African-American, I mean, an African-American come and singing in your pulpit, but he's not allowed to preach in your pulpit. Ooh. Why is it that you can bring a singer in yes. special and you pay them $200, but you bring someone in as your white counterpart and pay them $500? Right. Why is it that you can allow for black people to come and sit in your congregation and pay their tithes, mm -hmm. but you don't have African-Americans in your top leadership? Wow. See, the church is, is supposed to be the example for our culture. Right. But our culture is being the example for our church. My God, that's good. And when we, when we get back to what, what God has called us to, to be, then we can, we can be able to put a stamp on the kingdom work that he's called us to do. But, but look, look where we're at right now. We, we have the church who is the biggest supporters of Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. Donald Trump is a racist. Right. Donald Trump, President Donald Trump, is prejudiced. Why is the church backing something that God said is wrong? So, 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 uh, all right. <laughs> So you just call the president of the United States a racist, and and so oh, he, oh, he is. He, so why why would you say the president is racist? Well, let's 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 give the definition of a racist. All right. Okay. All right. The dictionary says that one who is racist is one who discriminates and believes that his race is superior than other races. He says out of his mouth. It, 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 he says out of his mouth that not only is his race superior, but he's superior. Right. <laughs> he says that daily. <laughs> he, he, daily. And, and so when... That's number one. N number two, you know, to be prejudiced is to, when you take a group of people mm -hmm. and, and you clump them all into one and say, these people are. Right. That is prejudice. When he talks about the Mexicans, and talks about the fact that 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 they are all um, thieves and they're murderers 
and the rapists, when you lump a group of people in, that is racism. Right. Number one. Number two, it's against the word of God. So what he, the, the Exodus, let me read you this Exodus 22 and 21. It okay. says, you must not treat or oppress foreigners in any way. Remember, you yourselves were once foreigners in the land of Egypt. Wow. So, and so <laughs> God has already gave the roadmap right. to how we're supposed to treat foreigners. Right. And we have people in church, Bible-believing people who spill that same hate about Mexicans that their president, that our president spills. And it's wrong. That's what I mean by the culture being the driving force of what we believe right. instead of the church being the driving force. So, so, so what, what do you say to people to say, hey, listen, I've, I've known Trump for years. He's some of his best friends are black and you're just race baiting. You're race baiting and, and he's trying to bring this nation together. I would say that the Bible says that the tree is known by the fruit it bears. And number one, he has proven himself to be a liar. Mm. And, and when, and so that's the, the fruit that he bears. He bears unrighteous lying fruit. And so I can't believe anything that he says mm -hmm. they can't believe anything that he says because he's proven that he is a liar and people always want to want to i'm saying what the bible says people want to dress it up misspoke this that no it's lying right and i don't care if you're in politics i don't care if you're in the church i don't care where you're at when you tell something that is not the truth it is a lie Yes, the Bible says that Satan is the father of lies, and he knows not the truth. Right. And so when, when you have told a lie over and over and over and over again, you cannot be believed. Right. Period. Number, that's number one. Number two, for those in the church who keep saying that he's a man of God, doing a disservice to God, because God does not have children who are liars. Right. In fact, he said liars will not uh, enter the kingdom of God. And so, and I'm not, you know, I understand that, that every once in a while somebody might tell a lie and they turn around and repent. But to stand there day in and day out and lie, and just bold-faced lie, you are walking in sin. So, and so we pray for our president because he, he's 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 a, he's in a bad way. But but he's not the problem. And and so let me just make that point clear because I know I kind of went that way. But let me make it clear: he is not the problem. Mm. The problem is the people that God has put in place in His pulpits, who for political gain 
have turned a blind eye and who have lied out of their mouths for the sake of politics. Mm. We are not politicians. Yes. We are men and women of God called to do the work of the Lord. We are ambassadors. We are not supposed to have our own opinion. We are supposed to say what God says. Wow. I mean, you, you've you just unpacked a, a whole <laughs> set of luggage relative to this issue. Um, and, and so you you would say it's not race baiting. He is the racist. Um, the the backdrop of, you know, his character, um, ongoing character as being one who's untruthful would not lead him, uh, lead you to believe that he is, number one, truly a man of God. Number two, truly God put him in that place, uh, but that people have spiritualized his existence in the White House. Well, well, you know, here's here's the thing. And this is my own opinion. You know, people say, well, you know, God put him there. You know, I, I, I'm not going to dispute that. Okay. You know, I'm not going to dispute that at all because, you know, if you look in the Old Testament in the Bible, there are many times God given wicked kings to the Israelites because they cried for them. Right. They asked for them. Right. And so you, 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 they cried for Donald Trump. They got him. Right. And and in the Bible, when when everything is written, he would be one of those wicked kings because he is a wicked man. Wow. And and I, I say that with, with I say that with all respect because he's still our president. Mm-hmm. But I say that with the truth. He is a wicked man. He 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 continues to do wicked things in the name of Donald Trump. And and if, and if if you look back, when he refused to to sign the document in order for all of those workers to go back to work, he he cared nothing about the fact that people were losing their houses, they were losing their cars, they weren't able to pay their children's tuitions. He had no compassion for the little man whatsoever. And and that I'm sorry, that's just not the way of Christ. Wow. We're we're in this great conversation um, with my brother Maurice Trent. He's a pastor in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Lighthouse Cathedral, and also the author of Journey. Uh, we're gonna take a break here. We're gonna come back and then we're gonna finish this discussion. We have just begun to peel back the onion and there's so much more to say. So we'll be back in just a few moments. That's this week's episode of the Character Matters Podcast. Don't forget to join us next week for another episode with your host, Gregory Trent. Thank you for listening. Yeah.